Thank you for downloading this week's episode of PR Week's Coffee Break. For more episodes, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee Break. It's Steve Barrett here, the Editorial Director of PR Week. Delighted to be here with Michael Olguin, who is the President and CEO of Havas Formula. And Michael, you've turned 30 years old as an agency last week, so congratulations. Thanks, Steve. It's uh, it's kind of hard to believe that 30 years have come and gone, and uh, you know I'm excited about it. At the same time, I appreciate you having us on and talking a little about what this last 30 years have been like. Yeah. yeah. As I said before we started recording, you must have started this when you were still at school. But anyway, I wish that were the case, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So to, tell us about the journey. I mean, you started, I think it was Formulatin was what it was called, and then you were acquired by uh, Havas in 2016, but quite a journey. Yeah. Just tell us, take us back to the start and how it, how it yeah, all came Yeah, so about. we actually started in 1992. Um, we actually originally, our original name was the Olguin Company, my last name, and which, of course, is the worst uh, uh, way to name an agency. You can't remember it. You can't say it. Uh, and it's not very, not very memorable. So we definitely made the decision to actually rebrand, and we rebranded around probably about three or four years into Formula. And Formula was sort of our, the name that we lived with um, over the course of our, our history. And so we started in 1992. We started out of San Diego. That was our first location. That's where I originally um, am from. And then we expanded to L.A. and then to New York. And then we got acquired in, in, in 2014. So over the course of that time, you know, it's funny how you, you're not certain how you're going to grow. And when you're in the early stages of a startup, you don't really even have any idea where you're, when you're getting your next uh, client, when you're going to actually going to get paid and you're doing everything right. You're, you're basically uh, writing, you're pitching, you're writing proposals. You're the chief, you know, bill collector, taking out the garbage you're doing just a little bit of everything when you're when you start up and you're small was there a was there a difficult time like most startups go through a difficult time don't they especially if it gets through a recession or something can you remember a difficult time and then yeah actually i would say turning point i would say there are two two points one was when you you know you're at a point where as you're growing starting to grow and you're trying to make a decision as to whether you're going to keep a client or not because they haven't paid. And part of you is like, oh my God, should I resign that piece of business? But I think they're going to pay, but will they pay? And that's, that is sort of the thing that happens often over the, for your first few years. And then you take lots of chances and flyers on brands that you may or may not work with down the road. Those are sort of the ongoing sort of challenges. I would say the biggest challenge was probably in 2009. And that's when the housing crunch happened, when, you know, the financial market tumbled, everybody got hit. You know, I think that was when it really became a difficult time for every agency within our world because, you know, so many agencies were losing business. Everybody was cutting back. Um, that's ironically is the actual time that I made the decision while the business was sort of declining. I said, I'm going to move to New York. And so that's actually the year that I moved to New York and decided this is the time to really sort of, while the chips are down, now work even harder, go to New York and see if you can kind of rustle up the business and make it continue to to grow. Yeah. And then you made the, I mean, I know you've got, you've always had interesting views on this, but you're not a, a specialist Hispanic agency, you're, but you are a, more of a, tell us what, what, what yeah. the US So we're actually a general market agency have been, you know, historically Formulatin is our Hispanic practice. That is one of our sub practices. We have really um, six sub practices. So we have 
uh, formula at in our Hispanic practice. We have Formula Street, which is our brand activation experiential. So we have a full activation experiential sampling. We can do any kind of sampling across the country, whether it be a mobile tour, event-oriented, that kind of stuff. We also have Trust, which is our crisis um, communications um, division. That's actually our newest expansion. Um, we also have Attention, which is our digital practice, which falls within that. And then, of course, we have PR, our, our Havas uh, formula. So that's a Havas formula is our general market PR, and it's typically what we're most most known for. And that's very much a, we're not a specialty agency. I would tell you that most brands would call us a consumer lifestyle agency with expertises in food and spirits is primarily where we're at. Got it. And then you became part of the Havas family. And um, why did you choose Havas and how's that um, turned out? Because you've now been there for, well, did you say 2014? So that's yeah, December year, of years. Yeah. yeah, December of 2014. We, you know, it's interesting. I, I never expected to, when I went through this process and you make it, it's a, it's a very strong philosophical decision as anybody who's, you know, an independent and decides that they want to scale. You know, there's only really three ways you can scale. One is you do it the old-fashioned way. You keep trudging along and trying to grow. The second one is you either go acquire agencies and try to scale, smaller agencies and try to scale. Or the third way is you go get acquired, right? Those are the three real options that exist out there. And then you start thinking of what, is, what does an acquisition look like? I never really expected to get acquired by uh, a holding company. That was never my ambition. You know, there's a lot of horror stories out in the marketplace, a lot of agencies that buy themselves back that have, have struggled with that. So I didn't want that situation. I was really more looking for a strategic acquisition, you know, a creative agency who really had a strong creative offering, but was maybe looking for a, a creative PR agency part. That's what I was primarily looking for. And we talked to plenty and and the only reason Havas actually was in the pro is was in the mix is because I was really good friends with the global CEO. He had actually tried to acquire us before, and we became friends. And that was really the only reason I didn't anticipate that they would even prevail. When they did, it was kind of a, a little bit of a surprise and a shock because it was not my ambition. But it's turned out to be great. I mean, we we uh, you know finished the earnout in December of twenty nineteen, right before the COVID pandemic. So good timing for that. But it's been really fantastic. It's better than I could have anticipated. They have a tremendous amount of appreciation for what it is that we're doing. And uh, I think that it's been a, it's been a, I call it a, a love match since the get-go. Yeah, it's good to hear. And uh, you mentioned the earnout, So you're still around. So you're still loving it, presumably. <laughs> What's the sort of future plans in that respect? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Yes, I came into end of tw middle 2019. Um, then I started talking to our global CEO, Yannick um, Bolleray about, you know, he's like, of course, everybody, you know, doesn't want the founder owner to leave the organization because it has a material effect in the organization. And, and I didn't want to leave, you know, I still really have a tremendous amount of passion and energy for what we do here. And so it wasn't really my ambition to leave. But what I did is I created a plan um, for him that would keep me entrenched in the organization. And that plan really fell into what we described as a, we called it G4. And it was a growth for four pillars of growth. And the four pillars were agency acquisitions, um, geographic expansions, service area expansions, and uh, um, greater collaborations with our sister agencies. And I sold that in to Unique and to our, our North American CEO, and they, they basically bought on it. And they bought on it, and they said, yes, let's do it. And then, of course, the pandemic hit, so that sort of put everything onto a little bit of a back burner because, you know, at that point, everybody is, you know, swimming for their lives. And... 
you know, in that whole evolution of the pandemic, 2020 was a very challenging year. 2021 was more challenging because of the staffing issues that everybody faced. So even 2020 was difficult. It continues to be, a, a, I think, a slow um, light at the end of the tunnel, given what's happened post, um, post-COVID. Yeah, tell us a bit about that, because you went back in the office last week on, I think, on a yep. two-day hybrid arrangement, actually, the same week that Edelman went back in as well. And, and obviously, uh, all companies are looking at how that's going to play out. Talk us through that, the, the process and the decision and how you're, how you're playing that, because, um, yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's difficult yeah. to get people. It is. You know, there's, there's, no right, there's no right and wrong on this, right? Everybody has a philosophical appreciation for what's, what they believe is the right thing. I believe in our industry and I believe in our organization that we're a collaborative um, business. And I think that the reason why I have such tenured people who've worked at this organization is because they work for people and not companies. And the way that you feel this attachment to people is being face to face with those persons. And even though it's a difficult decision, we made the decision to go back in because we believe too many persons have joined our organization that don't really even know who we are. I mean, yes, they get a paycheck and yes, they work for our clients, but there's no attachment to each other. And that was a big decision. And, you know, a a lot of, uh, you know, I I mentioned to you previously about Jamie Dimon, I'm a fan of his because we do live in this apprentice society. That's what he maintains. You live and learn from the people that you come in contact with. And I felt like it was paramount for us, for our success, for people to feel that. So coming back in last week, tough decision, right decision. And it played out really well. People had a lot of fun. I was in the New York office for all week long, and it was just exciting to see people hugging each other and people meeting each other for the first time. And, you know, I'm looking forward to sort of going back. In fact, I'm leaving this evening to San Diego to go um, and see my team in San Diego as well, because, you know, I I feel like you haven't really been around to, to visit all of our offices like we used to in the past. Yeah, you've got six offices, I think, in this in That's the correct. US. Um, That's do you see regional differences in this sort of returning to the office process, dependent on where yeah, you are? Yeah, the there's been some interesting things. You know, the West Coast, it's a little bit more about driving. And when you talk about driving, you talk about the gas prices, right? The gas prices in California are significantly yeah. higher. So that's a, an impact. You know, it's a factor that you consider. You also note, we also note that the um, COVID has driven this um, hiring of persons who don't live in market. So now we have, you know, people who live all over the country. Plus, you had people who have relocated to all over the country. So it's really changed the whole philosophy on it. I, you know, I believe, and I, in fact, I just wrote a byline on this, Steve, is this idea of what flexibility is, you know, because f- there's part of it is the philosophical side, right? You, you're, the way that employees work today is different than the way I grew up, the way that you grew up. You know, it was come in early, stay late, work harder than everybody else show your manager that you really wanted to be there. That was what, what it was all about. That's not what it's about anymore. And I accept that, but I have to philosophically accept that. And then you think about it is what is it? How does it apply? What is, how do you live that flexibility every single day? How do you allow people to live their lives knowing full well that they don't live to work? They don't, it's just not, it's a factor. And, and I can appreciate that. It's a changing landscape and I appreciate that. And then the third part of this flexibility is what does the future look like? You know, who knows? You know, our office structure is going to be completely different. Are we going to go to a four-day work week? Who knows? Like all these things are factors that are going to have a huge impact on the way that we think about um, leading an organization, the way that our young people think about working for an organization and making a decision of where they're going to where they're going to work. So there's a lot at play here, and I, it's a really a, a fascinating time, uh, but it's also a challenging time. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, every every employer is going through it, and especially in services companies as well. But I think ultimately we are in a people business, aren't we? And you learn from as, osmosis and sort of being around people. It's a team sport. So somehow we, we have to make that work and make make a, a new office environment that people want to be come part of and then give them the flexibility as well. So they're not in five days a week. That's that's pretty sure that that's not going to be in the services uh, business for sure. And just to sort of uh, finish off, t- talk us through the future. You've 30 years, um, great milestone, and you've still got the, the appetite for it. You've talked with uh, Yannick about, you know, and presumably you can start activating on some of those things now. Yeah. Tell us a bit about where where PR fits into Havas, because I've always been slightly confused by the structure of Havas. It's a lot more compl- complicated yeah, than some of the other holding companies, you know? Yeah, it's not the simplest structure because it's it's basically set up three entities. You have Havas Media, Havas Creative, and Havas Health and You. We actually roll up under Havas Creative. So that's kind of how our organization at a macro level is set up. Um, you know, Havas is really – it's a, it's a family-run organization. Even though it's a big public company that is now owned by Vivendi, it's a family-run organization. I know Unique really well, and that plays really well when you think about you know, a holding company because they're not really only about revenue. It's about smart growth. And so when you think about us and our future growth, you know, they're, they're, we're not really interested in acquiring revenue. That's, our, our acquisitions are not going to be, oh, let's just scale. That's not what it's about. It's about acquiring expertise. And that's what we want to be able to do. It's people and expertise. Can we gain something by an acquisition, acquiring that entity because they really fit into us culturally and philosophically, but we also really believe that they're going to be very additive to who we are as an organization. You know, we, the likelihood of us going and acquiring an agency that is a mirror of us, pretty much non-existent. It's not going to happen. It's going to be those entities that are going to give us a sk- uh, the skill set and the, and the expertise and the clientele that are going to automatically credential in, in verticals. And that's kind of exciting. And, and I have 100% support from uh, Havas leadership to do that, which I'm excited about. All right. Well, we look forward to seeing that play out. Um, congratulations on the 30th anniversary and, um, you know, continued success to you, Michael, and uh, look forward to putting the, the next 30. <laughs> I'm not sure I'll be around for that 30, but we'll see. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Coffee Break. For more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.